This morning, I want to talk to you about truth. Truth. A doctor must know the truth. You go to the doctor to find out the truth about your condition, right? Whatever's going on with you, you go to the doctor. You want to find out what's going on. So the doctor schedules tests. He schedules a battery of tests to determine the course of treatment that that must be followed in your case. Truth. A judge. A judge must know the truth about the case before his court so that he can make a proper judgment. What does he do? He calls witnesses. He calls witnesses in. They are called upon to bring the truth about the situation before the court and before the judge so that the court can make a proper judgment judgment truth it's the truth you're looking for when you go to your auto mechanic you want to know what's wrong tell me just what's wrong don't look at anything else on my car i just want to fix that problem does that frustrate you you go to the mechanic and he and he comes back and he says i know you brought this in for for this issue you know but i found all these other things too it's like well forget about those this is the thing that i want You don't do that, do you? You want them all fixed. (laughs) Your mechanic runs, these days, your mechanic hooks your car up to a computer and he runs this thing called a diagnostic test that he charges you about $75 for to, to find out what the problem is so that you can get your car fixed and you can be back on the road, hopefully problem free, for a good long time. Truth. If your doctor fails to pursue the proper tests, there can be no true diagnosis for your condition, and you are not helped. If the judge is deceived by witnesses who lie and do not tell the truth, there can be no true judgment, no proper judgment in that court of law. And if the auto mechanic refuses to use his knowledge of the automobile and the results of that diagnostic test to to repair your car, you are not helped at all. In each and every situation, and in all of life, truth is essential. Truth is absolutely necessary. It's essential. And for people who follow Jesus, biblical truth, God's Word, is essential we just finished last week our series in 1st John. So guess where we're going next? What comes after 1st John? <laughs> I didn't think it would be right for for me to 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 depart without trekking into 2nd and 3rd John. 2nd and 3rd John are actually often neglected and I don't want to be guilty of neglecting any of God's word and uh these are two short letters and this will be a short series you're thinking lord willing it'll be short not like the last one i may not be here to finish you may have a pastor before we finish we will see right the lord knows and only he knows and so we're praying for wisdom for your leadership as they lead you in your search for your next pastor and i hope i get to finish this series but i'm leaving that in the lord's hands but today we we turn to second john we turn the page from first john to second john and i want you to look with me at the first four verses of this little letter of Second John. Second John, beginning in verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, 
because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. As we look at these first four verses, I want you to see that there is a challenge here, that there is an an encouragement here to believers in Jesus Christ to know, to live, to practice the truth of God's Word. And I want you to see also the results of doing so. And so five times here, maybe you noticed it, five times in four verses, John uses this word, truth. And he does so for very good reason. As we're going to find as we progress through this short letter, Second John, we'll find this in later verses. John is writing to warn about false teachers. They do not teach the truth. They may take a measure of truth, but but false teachers will often take some of the truth and then twist it and shape it to fashion it to accomplish their own desires. Now, John's greeting sounds as if he's writing to an unnamed lady in the church. It might seem like that. Most commentators agree that it's more likely he's in fact writing to a church, that this is a church that he's writing to and its members. So when he talks to the lady and her children, he's talking to a church and its members. Uh, Often, that's what most commentators uh, would would, uh, agree on. And we're going to see here in 2 John that this instruction is actually intended to guide the members of a church in whom they should allow into their homes. Now, you might think that that's unusual, but but it's interesting. The culture, the time that they were living in, this was very important, that they know who they should entertain in their homes. The practice at that time was to show hospitality to those who were traveling and needed a place to stay. As commentator John Stott writes, where should traveling Christians stay when they came to some city on a business journey, or more importantly still, on a missionary journey. The comforts of the modern hotel or even of the village inn were then unknown. Besides, according to W.M. Ramsey, the ancient inns were little removed from houses of ill fame. The profession of innkeepers was dishonorable, and their infamous character is often noted in Roman laws. Inns were notoriously dirty and flea-infested, while innkeepers were notoriously rapacious, or if you don't know what that means, greedy. (laughs) As a result, it was natural that Christian people on their travels should be given hospitality by members of local churches. Such hospitality was open to easy abuse, however. There was the false teacher on the one hand, who yet posed as a Christian, should hospitality be extended to him? And then there was uh, the more obvious fraud that John Stott points to when he writes, the false prophet with false credentials who is motivated less by creed than by greed, namely the material profit and free board and lodging he hoped to receive. So there were not only people 
travelers who were taking advantage of the generosity of believers, there were also a more serious issue of false teaching that some of those travelers brought with them and spread. And John's purpose in writing is to encourage and remind these believers to to guard their hearts, to be on guard, to be careful with your hearts and with the truth. Guard your hearts and minds from false teachers and their teaching. Now, how are they to do this? How are we to do this? That's what we're here for today, right? To know something about the truth. And how are we... This is what John is writing about. How are we to guard our own hearts and minds from false teaching? Truth. John is making clear here in 2 John that believers must know. They must live by. They must make a practice of learning, absorbing, and and allowing their lives to be directed by the truth. The truth of God's word. And so begins John's note of truth here in 2 John. Truth. It's absolutely critical. Today, you are no less vulnerable to false teaching. In fact, false teaching is far easier to come by today than it was then. While you may not be likely to house a traveling stranger who might bring in to your home false teaching, there are many ways in which you could find yourself making room for those who misrepresent the gospel of Jesus Christ, who do not teach the truth, in fact, proclaim false truths or take a, a portion of the truth and twist it for their own ill-gotten gain. Books are one way you could easily allow false teachers into your home. Please don't misunderstand me here. I think believers ought to be readers. I think believers ought to be readers of, first of all, the Bible. You knew I had to go there, right? We ought to be first reading the Bible. Really, I'm, I'm not kidding. I know it sounds funny. We, I say it a lot, and I'll keep saying it, that we must be reading the Bible. In fact, if you take nothing else from this message this morning, I hope you go, go home with a new passion to read God's Word for yourself so that you will know the truth. And so that your heart and mind and life and even your family will be guarded from false teaching. I'm all for believers reading and reading good books and reading theologically sound books. It's important that you find theologically sound books that that will instruct your heart and take you back to the truth of the Word of God. And so I am not against books. I Before I packed up all my books... I had lots of books on my shelves that I, that I value highly with wisdom that, that many uh, people God has given great wisdom bring along instruction and bring us back into the Word of God with, the, with good teaching, sound theological teaching that takes us back to the truths of Scriptures. Unfortunately, some of the most popular so-called Christian books today that you'll find on the Christian bestsellers list, often those that land near the top are the least theologically sound books for you to be reading. If you mostly do your reading from the top of those lists, you're, you're at risk. 
I'm not saying don't read those books, but be, but know that you could be putting yourself at risk if you aren't careful and discerning as you read. Maybe your neighbor says, hey, have you read this latest book? It seemed like for a few years here the, the latest craze was books about heaven. And and the ones at the top were not were not theologically sound. They are not. And and maybe you've read some of those, and or maybe some of your neighbors have said, hey, have you read this book? Would you read this book? You read it, but you must be wise about what God's Word says so that you can spot the false teaching if you're going to read something like that. And if you don't know whether you can or not, maybe you'd be better off sticking to the Bible until you're certain that you can recognize it. There are so many opportunities to be misled in our reading. Television today is also a way you could be making room for false teachers in your home. You might be thinking, well, there's a lot of garbage on television, and yes, there is, and 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 I would include that, but in fact, there there's a lot of so-called Christian television that you might lower your guard for that you should not lower your guard for. More Christian television than not is very is a very poor place to learn good theology. Of course, there's also the Internet, where there's also a great deal of false teaching. There is certainly much good and help to be found on the Internet. I am I'm always glad to see churches putting themselves on the Internet so that people can find them and putting good quality content and putting their preaching online. I think that that's so easy to do these days. Every church ought to have a, a presence on the Internet so that they can share the good news and and I believe uh, believers interacting on uh, social media, things like uh, Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram, those, those can be used as an opportunity to be a good witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not knocking those. But without a solid foundation in the Word, you will not be able to easily discern the difference between biblical truth and false teaching. And there is much false teaching on the Internet And it is far too easy to find. But please do not think that I'm saying that there's nothing of value in any of these things. There is value. And I believe God wants us to use those tools as an opportunity to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. But God's people must be discerning in what they allow to influence their thinking and influence their living. We must be moved and challenged and instructed by the truth of the Bible, of God's Word. The warning has been sounded. John is sounding the warning. Now, as we look more closely at these verses, I want you to note that there's a familiar tone here. If you've been here for our studies in 1 John, this is going to feel familiar. There is a familiar tone here in what John shows that we learn from the truth. And this is familiar because it's much like what we heard from the letter of 1 John. And what we're seeing in these first four verses of 2 John are the results of living by the truth. There are results that will be seen in your life, in our lives, as we live by the truth. So here's the first result. Take note of this. Here's the first result. Living living by God's truth will lead you to love God's people. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Like First John. Living by God's truth will lead you to love God's people. Now you could be tempted... If you're reading this short letter, you could be tempted to skim through and overlook John's introduction in these first three verses. But his greeting, I think, is theologically important because of what it says about the truth. 
Look at verse 1 again. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Now we're seeing here one of the purposes for obeying the Bible. One of the purposes for obeying the Bible. One of the good outcomes God desires from your obedience to the Bible is your growth in love for your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. The Bible makes that clear, I think, in passages like 1 Peter 1 and verse 22, where we find that one of the purposes for obedience to God's Word is that you might learn to sincerely love your brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. How do you gain a pure heart? You saturate it with the truth. Saturate your heart and your mind with the truth of God's Word. Take steps to obey the truth of God's Word. And the natural overflow of that obedience results in your learning to love other believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible strikes a similar tone in Psalm 119 and verse 9, saying, How can a young man keep his way pure? Or we could say young woman here too. Or older people. I'm getting to be older, so I'm trying to be nice. Okay. If we can call young people young people, we can call old people old people, right? Young people are like, yeah. Yeah, we can call. Well, the Bible is absolutely necessary for young and old and everybody in between. We never outgrow our need for the wisdom of God's Word. How can a young person or an old person... Keep his way pure. Keep. How do you keep your way pure? You keep yourself in the Word of God. You keep obeying the Word of God. You keep taking strides and steps to honor God with your life, with every area of your life. It is the truth of the Bible obeyed that binds you as a believer in Jesus to love one another in a church, brothers and sisters in Christ. As you search for your next pastor, this is vital for your for your well-being as a church, for your longevity as a church. Love one another. Learn to love one another and let the Word guide you. Make the Word of God your primary source of instruction. And your heart will soon follow God's heart. The truth obeyed leads you to love your neighbor. Yes. The stranger. Yes. But God is calling you again and again from the Scriptures to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how the world will know that you are believers in Jesus Christ when you don't treat each other like the world treats each other. And then John points to how this love for your brothers and sisters in Christ is possible in verse 2. This is always an encouragement to me. I hope it's an encouragement to you. When I find phrases like this, lines like this in God's Word, reminders like this in God's Word give me hope because as I look at my life, I think of, often I think of the times that I have failed to obey God's Word properly. Maybe you're like that sometimes. You think, boy, this is hard. What you're talking about, loving people who don't love me back. Yes, it is. Very hard. But how is this possible? 
we have this reminder. It's, again, another familiar note because one of the things we heard again and again from 1 John was that we have the Father's help. We have the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence. We have His Word. And here it is again. We have this reminder of the truth of the Bible. Look at verse 2 again in your Bible. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. How we learn to love our brothers and sisters in Christ is because of the truth. And not the truth over there, but it's the truth in here. It's the truth that we take in, into our minds, our hearts, our lives, that we allow to direct our thinking and our living. And so that we go into situations that can be very difficult at times, and sometimes we find ourselves opposed or, or disliked or persecuted. And we hear God's word say, love that person as I have loved you. You once were my enemy. You hated me. I loved you. Remember, we take this because of the truth that abides. You want God's help? You get God's word into you. You get God's word into your heart and your mind and your life. You read the Bible for yourself. You seek to do daily what you need to do to, to stay spiritually strong so that you might learn to love your brother and sister in Christ and even those who aren't your brother and sister in Christ because of the truth that abides in you and will be with us forever. Now, why does John and why do the other believers of whom John speaks love these people to whom John is writing? Why do they love them? Why do they love each other? It's because of the truth that abides. It's changing them. It's growing them in Christ. It's because of the truth that abides in believers and be will, will be with them forever. God's truth remains. It does not change. The world that we live in, the culture that we live in, everything changes. Everything is changing. It's incredible. God's truth does not change. It remains. Now, how does the truth abide in you if you're a believer in Christ? I read 1 Peter 1.22 a moment ago. Now listen to verse 23, where the Bible says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, the living and active and powerful and sharper two-edged sword of the Word of God, Believers are born again, made new in Christ. New life in Christ. Believers are divinely enabled with new life in Christ to obey God's truth. And believers who obey God's truth, believers who live the truth of God's word, are changed by that truth. You cannot remain the same. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, He saves you and He does not leave you the way you were. He moves in with the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit begins to change you little by little. And I am so glad that God is patient because if He wasn't patient with me, (laughs) and I know... I know people in my life who've looked at me and said, my word, when is he ever going to get this right? When is he ever going to change? And I'm a parent. I have children. And I've looked at my children at times and think, when are they going to get this? 
When are they going to do this right? When are they going to do that right? God's not impatient. God is gracious. He raises us to new life in Christ when we put our faith in Him and then He gives us His indwelling presence and He's given us His Word and He calls us to the Word and He says, take, eat, read, be changed and My Spirit will help you. I will help you. Because this is not a perishable seed but if imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. We have God's help. Believers who obey God's truth, believers who live the truth of God's Word are changed by that truth. So much so that they are also divinely enabled to do something that they wouldn't normally in the flesh be able to do. What's that? Love their brothers and sisters in Christ sincerely and deeply. The Bible says it like this in Hebrews 4.12, showing us how this is possible. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I've said it likely many times in the last almost three years that I've been here, that God's Word is not just another book. It's not any other book. It is God's book. It is a divine book. It is divinely used. It is divinely powerful. And God promises when His people get into His Word, He promises to take this living and active, sharp, two-edged sword of the Word to pierce our souls so that, so that after surgery we're not the same. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you can bank on this, that the living and active Word of God holds in check and trains the thoughts and intentions of your heart, of your mind, as you are obeying it. That's critical. I speak a lot about obedience, and it seems like we've, we've talked a lot about obedience in First John. And, and again, I think we see this implication here, this challenge, and we'll hear it explicitly stated as well, that obedience is critical. If you want to grow in Christ, you need to start obeying God's Word. You might struggle with that. You might not get it right. You might fail. You might sin. You will sin. We still sin, right? We're still fighting sin as believers in Christ. But we can be confident that the way God works with His Word is as we take steps of obedience, He is gracious to give us more grace, to give us more help, to give us more hope, to give us more strength for more obedience that brings more glory to God and more joy to us. And while it's true that you're to show love to all people, even those who would count you as enemies, you have a very special bond with fellow believers that is especially founded in the truth. And that truth, according to John in verse 2, will be with us forever. It will remain. It will not change. 
And that means that not only does God's truth remain and that it is sure and certain, but it also means that the Holy Spirit will continue to reveal the truth to you if you believe in Jesus. The Bible gives an illustration of this truth in 1 Corinthians 2, 6, where Paul writes of divine truth this way, Yet among the mature who do, uh, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our, uh, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then in verse 14, the Bible says, the natural person, that is, the unbeliever, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, the believer in Jesus has been given the everlasting, the foreverlasting truth. And the believer in Jesus has been given the mind of Christ. We have the indwelling presence of the Lord Jesus Christ to help shape our thinking with the truth for the purpose of obeying the truth and believing the truth and being changed by the truth. And this is not the wisdom of man. This is not the wisdom of unbelievers that perishes with them. This is the wisdom of God that remains, that abides forever. And I want you to note in in verse 3 what God's wisdom produces in believers. Here's a second result of living by the truth. If you live by God's truth, the fruit of grace, mercy, and peace will be evident in your life. If you live by God's truth, the fruit of grace, mercy, and peace will be evident in your life. I want you to look at your Bible again at verse 3. Grace, it says, verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. The fellowship of believers in the local church is the result of holding fast to the truth, clinging to the truth, standing fast on the truth, standing on the promises as the old hymn recited. But not just standing fast in the truth, not just clinging to the truth, not just holding fast to the truth, but also living that truth out, practicing that truth, being obedient to that truth that God instructs us with. And we hear in verse 3 that believers are the recipients of God's grace, mercy, and peace. And God never gives partially. He is very very gracious to give everything that we need so that we are fully equipped for good works, for obedience. And it begins with God's grace and His mercy and His peace as we see here. When you practice God's truth, you will also begin to show the same kind of grace that God shows you, the same kind of mercy that God shows you, the same kind of peace will will show in your life as you practice peace with other believers God's grace. Think about it. 
Think about that. God's grace. God's grace. He is, he is giving something to you that you do not deserve through the Lord Jesus Christ. His mercy. He is withholding something from you that you do deserve. And peace is the outcome. Peace follows. God gives peace. When we dwell in the Word of God, when it dwells in us, when we abide in the Word, when it abides in us, we dwell richly in God's grace and mercy, and what comes along with it is His peace. Peace begins to rule in our hearts and lives. When you practice God's truth, you will also show that grace and mercy to others, and peace will be the natural outcome. Note here that you are not, you are not to sacrifice the truth in the interest of showing kindness and love. Don't hear me wrong on this. You hold fast to the truth and you love. We hear both things here. You cling to the truth and you love. Your love for for others doesn't overrule the truth. Is what's most important for us to understand. Our love for people doesn't make us water down the truth. We, We do no one any good by watering down the truth because we love them. Your love for others doesn't overrule the truth. In fact, it's the other way around. The truth teaches you how to properly direct your love, how to properly show your love, how to properly show the love of Christ at work in you. So you don't use the truth in such a way that you are harsh and unloving with it. That's not what I'm saying. We, we don't take the truth and beat people over the head with it. But we don't withhold the truth when we're afraid of the consequences We don't withhold the truth when we're concerned about what might come as a result of speaking the truth about God's Word. You don't sacrifice the truth as you show love. To walk in the truth will require that you show equal measures of truth and love. Truth and love balanced without neglecting either. And God's Word is very good about instructing in in that and helping us in that. So that we know how to graciously approach difficult situations and difficult topics with the truth of God's word. Not beating, beating people up with it, but, but graciously saying, look, this is what God's word says. And I'm, I'm a messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to tell you what you need to know so that you can make a proper decision about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you live by God's truth, the fruit of grace mercy and peace will be evident in your life. And that points to the third result of living by the truth. If you live by the truth of God, your life will be a witness to the truth to others. If you live by the truth of God, your life will be a witness to the truth to others that they desperately need to hear whether they realize it or not. If you're living the truth, there will be a godly example evident in your life. I'm not talking about perfection, and the Bible doesn't talk about perfection, but there will be evidence that God is changing you. You won't be able to help it. John had evidently witnessed the godly example of some of those to whom he was writing. Look at the Bible in verse 4 again. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Just as we were commanded by the Father. 
you are commanded to walk in the truth, to live in the truth, and to practice the truth of God. And if you're walking in the truth, your life is going to bear fruit of that obedience. Your life is going to bear evidence of that spiritual growth. It's a wonderful thing that John had witnessed in the lives of believers who were obeying the truth. One day, our family will not be with you on Sundays, but it will be a joy to us if we hear that First Baptist Church, the people of First Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, are living in the truth. That they are a shining, godly example of of God-honoring belief and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. And I, and I pray that we'll be an encouragement to you as well as you, as you hear about what God is doing with our family, that we too will stand in the truth, that we will remain firm in the truth, and that our lives will be a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a wonderful thing to witness, to see God changing people. It points to the truth. It points to the wisdom of God's Word. John is also doing something here, though. He's, he's thankful. He's grateful. He's encouraging these believers to whom he's writing. But don't overlook this. He's also writing because of the risk that false teachers pose for the potential for believers to be led astray by those false teachers and for those believers to neglect the truth. There's always that risk. There's always that possibility that we begin to slowly, steadily depart from the truth. So how might you neglect the truth? How might you fail to walk in and live in the truth of God? Very simply stated, I would say you neglect the truth when you fail to believe the truth and take steps to obey it. When you fail to allow your life to be changed and conformed to the truth of God's word, you are neglecting the truth. And it's possible for any of us to do this. Any of us. Even as you sit here with a Bible open before you, you may hear, you may look, you may see the truth, but you may not believe it. Or you may not let it connect with your heart in a way that leads to obedience. And if your auto mechanic knows the part to replace and fails to do so, he's not helped you, but he has done you a disservice. And if your doctor knows what's causing your pain, and he knows what to prescribe, but he fails to, he has not helped you, he has harmed you. And if the judge knows the truth and refuses to make a proper judgment, he has not served you, he has done you an injustice. And if you know the truth and you refuse to obey it, you have sinned against God and you have harmed yourself and the Bible calls you to repent and turn. Turn from disobedience. Turn to obedience. Turn to living by the truth. 
May you and I, may each one of us be like the believer in Jesus whom the Bible describes in James 1 and verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing.